And go ahead and open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And tonight we're going to look at verse 15. Titling the message, God's Obedient Pastor. Titus 2.15. He says, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Well, the first thing we need to clarify is what things is he talking about? We just looked in last time, verses 11 through 14. And once again, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching. What's teaching? The grace of God. Not only brings salvation to us, but the grace of God also teaches us. That denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we, that he might redeem us for every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So the grace of God that brings salvation is to teach us to get away from ungodliness and worldly lust, and to bring us to the place that we are a purified people, God's own special people, zealous for good works. And then in verse 15, he says, So speak these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. That he wants Titus, the pastor here in Crete, And of course, all teachers of the word to realize when they are exhorting from the word, it's all authority. How is that? Because it's not man's opinion. We didn't have a council and vote this in to our creed. This is the word of God. God's word is the grace that brought us salvation. That same grace is to bring us to be his own special people, zealous for good works. And in essence, if you're not a person that's living in purity tonight, if you're not a person that senses God's hand upon your life in a unique and special way, if you're a person not zealous for good works, then in essence, he says, with all authority, with all the power of God behind you, we are to speak these things. What's that mean? To speak them into your life. <laughs> to The word speak is also translated teach. To continue on this topic until it finally soaks in. It finally gets to you. With all authority. I think of Jesus in Matthew seven twenty eight. The people noticed when Jesus taught, all, all authority was with him. It says, and when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his teachings. And it, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so the scribes of the day, the, the teachers of the law of Jesus' day and before, they, they would never want to commit They would say, well, Hillel says this, and sort of on the other side of the coin, you know, Shammai says this, and the Talmud says this, but then there's also the, you know, the Mishnah that says this, and, you know, they all have good points, completely contradicting, but very good points, and and so, well, it's sort of up to you which which one you're going to look at and think about. 
But Jesus came on this scene and said, no way. You've got to love your enemy. Bless them, pray for them, do good to them. I mean, Jesus just with all authority behind them spoke the word, rebuking, exhorting with all authority. Here's a great quote by Barnes. He says, the sense here is he was to do it decidedly, without ambiguity, without compromise, without keeping anything back. He was to state these things not as being advice or counsel, but as the requirement of God. And that's what he's telling Titus. Don't let anyone despise you, but as if God himself were speaking through you, without any ambiguity, without holding anything back, speak or to teach these things until it comes to fruition in their life. Again, the word to speak these things, it's the same word also translated preach or to announce or reveal or disclose. In essence, it's saying that you are to preach it, teach it until it is finally understood by all, holding nothing back. In Acts 20, verse 20, we we know when Paul pastored at Ephesus, he had this same intensity about him. In Acts 20, verse 20, he says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. He goes on in verse 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He goes on in verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Man, do you you hear the intensity of the heart of Paul? Publicly, house to house. I'll tell you what, after three years I could leave Ephesus feeling that there was not one stone unturned. And again, it wasn't that I just informed you like a newspaper. I I didn't just tell you the data, but I, house to house, publicly, night and day with tears, I spoke it until it was spoken into your life. Until, you know, the little light bulb above your head turned on, bing, and you got it. And you begin to apply it and live it. And this is the difference, you see, from Paul being an apostle and Titus and Timothy and Silas and Luke traveling with him, just preaching the gospel, putting some elders in place and saying, see you guys later, I got to go to the next town. Now all of a sudden he's saying, you're a pastor, Titus. And the pastor's job is not just to lead them to Christ like the evangelist or the apostle and and they understand the doctrine and you leave them and go on. No. You're, as a pastor, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It's taking all of the sheep and making sure they're they're in one big giant. uh, Sheep is a what? Flock, thank you. Yeah, it's a gaddle of geese, uh, you know, a herd of cows. I always get those mixed up. A flock, okay. Uh, a flock, does that sound right? Herd, I don't think so. A sheep, herd of sheep? 
flock of sheep. It's a flock, yeah. Flock, okay. How many think it's flock of sheep? Let's take a poll, okay. How many think it's a herd of sheep? Okay, only a couple. <laughs> he watched the flock by night. It's in the Bible. Settled the issue. Gee, you can't argue with the scripture. Okay. Um, <laughs> make sure all the flock is with you. We've agreed upon that now. Doesn't sound right, though. But anyway, the, the, the whole bunch of sheep, every one of them with you. There we go. Bunch, a bunch of sheep. And, uh, <laughs> and he's basically saying, this is your job. I think of how Paul told Timothy sort of in the same way. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So hear you again, since all authority is with you, Timothy, I'm commanding you like a general commanding his officers to command those under him as if God himself, you were standing before God giving account of how you pastored that church knowing God's going to judge you as a leader of that church, sort of put yourself ahead of time, standing before God, did I charge faithfully as the Lord Jesus Christ would have me? And then he says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. And listen to these words, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So again, there was these characteristics, these traits, if you would, that we we see that weren't natural to Timothy. We're not natural to Titus. It sort of was an uncomfortable place for them to go within their personality, within their life experiences. And, and he is saying, it is your job to get into the personal world of those who are in your flock and to confront them, convince them with long-suffering and teaching. As Paul said next, night and day with tears, I did not cease until all the counsel of God was spoken, not just taught, not just informed. That's the point I want to make here tonight. He's not saying that I need you to be an accurate encyclopedia for the church. I'm, I'm telling you that your job as a pastor, publicly, house to house, privately with a rebuke, with a convince, whatever it takes, that they understand this is where they're at, And this is where they need to be. And no matter how uncomfortable that is for them to hear it, no matter how hard it is for you to say it, no matter how uncomfortable the situation becomes, it is your job to make sure that they understand, thus saith the Lord. And again, that's the unpopular part of the pastor if you would to often say things that are uncomfortable to speak and definitely uncomfortable to hear they're words of stretching words of change words of conviction and repentance 
of greater surrender, of greater giving, of greater love, of greater serving, of greater caring, a more diligence, whether it's as a spouse or a parent or as a Christian or a friend, that in essence the, the pastor's job is to make, as it says in Psalm 23, to make the sheep lie down in green pastures. It's like they don't naturally want to go there, but you've got to make them lie down in those green pastures. And so, and he goes on in in verse 15, he says, so after you speak these things into their life, I want you to exhort. This word again is beseeching, entreating, um, pleading. It's interesting that it is a spiritual gift, exhorting. You know, we often think of spiritual gifts as prophecies or miracles. Or, and in Romans 12, verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing for according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in portion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching. And here it is. He who exhorts in what? His exhortation, who gives with liberality, who leads with diligence, who shows mercy with cheerfulness, and so forth. But exhortation, to be able to encourage the brother and to say, here's where we're at, here's where we need to be. Not one of us can accomplish it. It's going to take all of us together to get there. And, and with those words of exhortation, we see in the book of Acts, for example, Barnabas. There were people that were wealthy people that gave everything they had away to feed the poor that had come to Christ in Jerusalem. And Barnabas, they changed his name to Barnabas, means son of encouragement. He had such a gift of exhortation that they actually called him, hey, here comes exhortation. Interesting, in the New Testament, this word to exhort is used 109 times. We see it in all kinds of different venues. For example, in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech, I exhort, I plead, I beg, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Paul was pleading exhorting the Christians to surrender their lives completely as a sacrifice to God. In Romans 15, 30, the same word, he says, now I beg you, brethren, I'm pleading with you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. I want to bring you to exhort you to give your body as a living sacrifice. I am begging you to give yourself to prayer in, in a deeper way. In Romans sixteen seventeen, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines you learned and avoid them. I'm begging you, I'm exhorting you to stay away from divisive people that are preaching other doctrine. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Now I plead with you, I beg you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there'd be no divisions among you, that you'd be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. <laughs> I beg you to follow me as I follow Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We, we hear the pastors, if you would, of the New Testament, Paul and, and Peter, saying, I beg you guys to, to go from where you're at to a deeper place in the Lord. I beg you to go from where you're at to give your life in, in a more profound way in the Lord. In the area of prayer, in the area of holiness, in the area of unity, it's the pastor's job, if you would, to, uh, I love the old King James in Hebrews ten twenty five. it says, provoke one another to love and good works, you know, to continue to speak the same things until you're irritated uh, to the point saying, if I start doing it, will you quit talking about it? Yes, I will. And then he goes on in Titus 2.15, speak these things, exhort, and here's the negative side, rebuke with all authority. The word here, again, for rebuke, it's, it's referring to convince somebody who's on the opposite side of that truth. They're wrong. And you need to rebuke them for being in disagreement with God. You have all authority. You're speaking the word of God. It's the mind of God. And they're in contradiction with God. Remember earlier we saw in Titus chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. People were saying the Cretans were lazy and liars and all of this. And he said, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them, what? Sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables, commandments of men who turn from the truth. Jesus says in Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I what? Rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. William Barclay writes this on this topic of rebuking. He says, the eyes of the sinner must be open to his sin. The mind of the misguided must be led to realize its mistake. The heart of the heedless must be stabbed broad awake. The Christian message is no opiate to send men to sleep. Referring like a drug, a sleeping pill. It is no comfortable assurance that everything will be all right. It is rather the blinding light which shows men themselves as they are and as God as he is. Interesting. His point is that the pastor's job is not just to speak words of comfort. Everything's going to be okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Don't worry. You know, it's all going to work out. It's all good. It's all fine. You know, um, no, that, that the pastor's job in declaring the word is just to bright such a giant light that they can see themselves as they are and see God as he is and whatever it takes to get from where they're at to where they need to be, the pastor would speak these words. Now notice the final part of Titus 2.15. Let no one despise you. This is an interesting point. Because he is inferring that people are going to despise you. You're going to cause them to be uncomfortable. 
you're going to cause them to say, you've got to be stretched. You've got to repent. There's a great conviction that's coming from what I'm sharing. And the first tendency of all of us when we're uncomfortable is to bite, right? To lash out like the dog who's getting cornered. You know, our first reaction is to say, ouch, I don't like this. Uh, you're being mean to me. You're not being kind. Uh, I don't like this. Get away. But he's saying, don't back down just because you're being despised. In John 15, verse 20, Jesus said this to the apostles to remember. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. On the other side of the coin, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus makes it clear that if they're persecuting you, it's because they persecuted me. If they're rejecting you, it's because they rejected me. On the other side, if they're accepting you, it's because they're accepting me. And again, he, this is obviously only in the context of speaking the exact words of Jesus. And uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And admonish you. That's the word teach. Again, with this concept of a strong exhortation and rebuke. To esteem them very highly in, the, in love for their work's sake. And so again, you know, there comes a point in maturity where the kids realize, man, you know, you were hard on me as a kid. Or, you know, you made me get up and make my bed. Or, you know, you... You didn't let me go, whatever. You grounded me and, you know, I hated you at the moment. Now I look back and that was wise. That was a blessing that you stood the ground and, uh, if you would, made me obey. And here he's basically saying the same thing, that uh, those of you who are in the place of maturity appreciate those who are speaking the word. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. So again, uh, the Tituses and the Timothys. And I, and I might add, our church here is just wonderful. Uh, I'm not saying this going, boy, I feel unappreciated. Where can I put these verses in tonight in my message? Uh, not at all. I feel very appreciated. You guys are great uh, all the time. I get cards and thank yous. I'm going to have absolutely zero reward in heaven because of you guys. Uh, thanking me all the time. But, you know, as I preach this, it's, it's going out on the radio. A lot of other people are hearing it around the world. And, uh, you know, it is an important thing that, again, um, the pastors aren't feeling always in resistance to, to moving things forward. And there, there are a lot of, uh, of pastors that are, are gentle, caring guys and, and they die a thousand deaths to have to share the, the sermon in front of them. And I uh, was just talking to a couple pastors last week and they're hitting some uh, of the tough prophet passages as they're teaching through the Bible. And you get to some of those books, man, especially the minor prophets, it's just rebuke. <laughs> And it's like every week, it's this rebuke. If you guys remember us going through that season of Minor Prophets, it was, a, it was a great season. I mean, God just purified us. But I'll tell you, you died a thousand deaths getting up and, and uh, declaring 
what the Lord was saying to a compromising nation over and over again. And so here he's saying, don't let yourself feel despised. God's not despising you. And with God and you, that's always a majority. Stand firm. Remember Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise your youth. And Titus also no doubt was a young man. But be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity. And again, I, I think that there's always the group of people saying, well, you can get up there and say that because, well, you don't have any teenagers yet. You know, you can get up there and say that because you're already married. You're not single. You know, you can already say that because, you, you know what? No pastor's going to have all everybody's experiences. And so that's the, that's the beauty of teaching through the Bible. We're not teaching, saying, trust my experiences to be true. We're saying, trust the word of God to be true. And again, God knows. He was tempted in all points as we are tempted, but without sin. He is the great high priest to all of us. And, and you're right. I mean, there's a point where I can't say to every single person, oh, I know how you feel and I know what you're going through. I can't, I don't. But at the same time, we need to stand firm to preach God's word faithfully. And again, in Acts 20, verse 28, this is what Paul told the pastors there in Ephesus that he was leaving the church to. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock. There it is, another word. Among which the, I don't know why we struggle with that. It's just so clear. Sheep, flock, okay. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Wow. Realize, take heed to yourself. You are shepherding not your own sheep, but God's sheep. These aren't just ordinary, regular, everyday people. These are people that have been bought by God through his own blood. Humbling, sobering. Colossians 1.28. Paul says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect, in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Man, that's the pastor's job. Preaching, warning, teaching every man until every one of us are perfectly matured in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, that's what I'm doing, laboring, striving, because this is the work that God has given me in Christ Jesus. So what do we find here in 2 Timothy 2.15? That Titus is to speak, to exhort, to rebuke. Not let anyone despise him with all authority. Why? Because remember Titus 2.14. God wanting to use Titus and every pastor, every leader to help purify for himself, to Jesus Christ, his own special people, that they would be zealous for good works. Now, I just want to stop there and just help every one of us to understand. You are a unique work of art of God. 
There is nobody like you ever on this planet. There'll never be anybody like you ever again. The way your brain works, your voice, your thought processes, your ability to speak about Christ or to lead others to Christ. We know in the book of Esther, when Esther was wanting to back down, you know, Mordecai said, you know what? God has raised you up for such a time as this. But if you turn coward, God will raise somebody else up and you'll just completely miss out. But we don't want to, to throw in the towel. We, the point here is to understand that every one of us, and I think the devil works overtime to make us feel insignificant, to make us feel that it doesn't really matter if we witness and share the Lord. It doesn't really matter if we try to build somebody up in the Lord. It doesn't really matter if we're in the word or in prayer. It doesn't really matter if, you know, there's enough people praying Sunday night. It doesn't matter if I'm there praying. There's enough people teaching Sunday. It doesn't matter if I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm sure there's a good group going to the orphanage. Man, you know, I have a good heart to go. You know, understand, you have a calling. You have a purpose in God as a special, unique person. And there is a place of ministry. I don't know what that will be. But you will have this deep passion, this great grace, this deep heart to serve the Lord. And and the more you serve him, the more grace he gives you. And it is essential that every one of us do that. Every one of us. In Ephesians 4, turn there in your Bibles if you would. We're going to read a couple passages and finish here tonight. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, how many of us? Each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men, including you. Now, this he ascended. What does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he, Christ, might fill all things, referring to you as well. So what did he do in the church? He gave himself some to be apostles, some to be prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. For what purpose? Verse 12, this is important. For the equipping of the saints, that's all of us believers. For what? The work of the ministry. Every one of us are to be working in the ministry. Why? Because as we're all doing our part, our share, we edify the body of Christ. We build up the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, a matured believer, fruitful believer, to the measure, this is how far we can grow and mature to, to the measure of the statue of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should all no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with, by every wind and wave of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, 
may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined, knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Let me say that again. Effective working by what? Every part does its share. It causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's essential. I mean, imagine if one of the spark plugs in the engine of your car said, oh, there's many other spark plugs. It doesn't matter if I'm fire. You'd have a pretty rough running car, wouldn't you? What if every carpenter said, well, I I won't nail the boards I'm putting up. Everybody else is nailing boards. I mean, you'd have a house that falls down. In the same way, all of us need to serve. All of us need to pray. Everybody needs to give of their tithes and their offerings, serving one another. All of us need to have a burden for the lost. All of us need to, to, to care about the things God cares about. Praying for our missionaries. Praying for one another. That every single one of us can come to that place to realize that I'm just not another face in the crowd. I'm not stupid. My opinion does matter. Me spending time with the Lord is essential. My prayers to God are essential. That we are as only as strong as the weakest link, and it's absolutely a fact. God's design for the pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists is simply to build up the body that everybody in the body can come to the place of maturity to figure out their gifts, to figure out their ministry, and then become zealous for those good works that they have, whatever that is. And we all have various seasons, don't we? I mean, there's seasons of our life when we're having babies and little kids and seasons of our life we're sick. There's seasons of life we have to take care of our elderly parents. I mean, there's seasons of our life when we're don't have money, there's seasons in our life where we do have money. There's all kinds of seasons of our life, but whatever is going on, God has in every season before us something for us to be zealous for in those good works. And it's important, again, we don't come and get some pharisaical, legalistic thing. I don't pass out some spiritual gift test and tell you what you scored on it and what you're supposed to be doing. That we've got to be matured to the place that we can hear from God. That we can sense, the, whether it's the grieving of the Spirit or the leading of the Spirit. And, and be obedient to the Lord's leading in our lives. One more passage and we're done here tonight. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but what? The same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but in the same God who works all in all. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to who? Each one. For the profit of all. Verse 8. 
For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. Listen to verse 11 now. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to who? Each one, individually, as he wills. In other words, it's not just sort of a a smorgasbord. He throws it out. No, whatever sounds good to you this week, go for it. No. But individually, you are important. God knows every hair upon your head. (laughs) He's got the sands of your life in his hands from the first sand to the last sand. He's giving you a DNA like no one else. He's giving you a color of hair and a thickness of hair and a eye like nobody else's and a I mean, we can just go on down. You, you are a completely unique human being because God has a unique and wonderful ministry for you. And it's each one of us individually as he wills. Now we go on in verse 12, 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. For as the body is one and, is, and has many members... But also the members of that one body, being many, are still one body. So also is Christ. For by the one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, whether all have been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. The one body, guys, but many members. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body... Is it therefore not the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in a body just as what? He pleased. You see how individually and how special, again, that verse says that we are a special people that God's created. He wants to purify us to be a special people. Individually, as he pleases, he has you here. And in verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head of the, or to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we should bestow greater honor. And our, on our unpresentable parts have the greater modesty. But our presentable parts we have no need. But God, compum- God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So there are some parts of the body that are visible. The worship leaders and the teachers and, and, and so forth. And they really don't need to have honor bestowed upon them because they're very public. But then there's people that have a ministry that's not visible to very many people. And to them, we need to recognize them in the body. 
and show honor to them and, and, and appreciation and bless them. So there's no schism in the body. There's not, um, oh, that's that ministry. Who cares about that ministry? You know, no. That every ministry before the Lord, he has individually chosen us as pleases him for his own will, for his own purposes. So tonight, I'm to tell you guys, exhort you, even rebuke you if I need to, and not let you despise me for it, to let you know that God wants you to be a purified people because you're his own special people. You're his sheep that he's bought with his own blood and that you are to be free from sin, from worldliness, from worldly lust. And as you're set free, you'll know what his calling is, his gifts in your life, and you can be zealous for those good works. Amen? Well, Lord, we thank you here tonight. And we thank you for the clarity of your word and that uh, we, we come to understand tonight really the role of those who are leaders amongst us, that we are to not despise them for stretching us, for rebuking us, for talking on things that are uncomfortable for us to hear, but that we are to listen as they speak it with all authority that this is from you as we read it in your word, as we declare it accurately from your word, it is from you. And those words spoken, exhorted by, Lord, that we would hear you, Lord, speaking through whatever instrument you choose. And we hear tonight the message that you would have us to be purified. And if you're here tonight and you're going, you know, man, I'm really blowing it right now in the area of whatever it is, anger, lust, greed, selfishness, self-centeredness. I'm not sanctified and set apart for the Lord's use because of this area. Just the Bible says repent. Lord, forgive me. The Bible says he who has clean hands and a pure heart, Lord, clean my hands right now. Lord, I want to leave here tonight with clean hands. Lord, I want you to purify my heart. Search my heart, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me, Lord. Purify my heart, Lord, for your glory and your honor and your praise. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done, God. Thank you, Lord. And now just recognize, thank you, Lord, that I'm yours. I'm your own unique person that you've created. And I tonight, Lord, I've let the devil, I've let my mind, I've let... Others put me down and, and, and I realize that this is all a part of Satan's plan to, to cause me to think lesser of myself than you think of me. To keep me from praying, seeking you, stepping out in faith and, and doing what you would have me to do. I allow my lack of confidence or my lack of self-esteem just sort of keep me paralyzed from moving forward in the ministry you would have for me. Lord, forgive me. I'm yours. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, Lord. I'm yours. And I know that you have a unique work for me that in my lifetime I will accomplish and nobody in front of me or behind me can ever do. A unique voice, a unique hands, unique feet, unique way of thinking. Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I yield myself and I submit myself into the one body and I submit myself to 
You put me as you please, Lord. You give me the gifts individually as you will, and I will obey you, God, in being what you would have me to be. Glorify yourself, Lord, in my life, in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, come forward. Love to pray with you. And also feel free just to encourage one another. Share with one another what God spoke to you tonight or this week in the word or whatever else. Fellowship. God bless you. Bye-bye.